Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the EMG Gold podcast. My name is Mark Koskila, Head of Marketing here at EMG Health, and I will be your host today. In this episode, we will be exploring a very pertinent and relevant subject in the pharmaceutical industry right now, reputation. It's no secret that pharma has historically struggled with this, but the COVID-19 pandemic enabled the industry to showcase its work, demonstrate its value and impact public perceptions for the better. To discuss this with me, I have my expert guest for today, Rob Yekielek. Rob has 18 years of experience leading corporate brand and reputation development relationships. In his role, he offers his expertise to senior executives at some of the world's largest and most influential companies, including numerous pharmaceutical organizations. He's worked across North America, Europe, and South Africa, advising top pharma giants such as Johnson & Johnson, Novo Nordisk, and Pfizer, as well as lecturing at a number of leading universities in Europe and the US. He's currently the managing director of the hugely insightful Harris Poll. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. And um, how, how are you? Doing great. Uh, great to great to be here. Uh, thank you for 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 having me. I'm uh, excited to for the conversation. Great. No, it's a, a pleasure and brilliant to have you have you on. So let's get started. Um, so firstly, if we take a step back and travel to life pre March 2020. How would you characterize the public perception of the pharmaceutical industry historically, and where is it typically sat in relation to other industries? Uh, the answer is, um, I'll, I'll first kind of like, the, the, the adjectives would be something like um, faceless, um, big, uh, don't know exactly what, I, what they do, very technical, very expensive, Right, which that translates into if we're talking about kind of reputation and brand, really not very strong performance, right? Towards not not terrible performance, not not at the level of like a tobacco or something like that, um, but certainly nowhere in the same range as um, retail, consumer packaged goods, uh, financial services, uh, or tech, right? So very very middling, very misunderstood, um, and really no real bite. Right. No kind of no interest, no lean in, uh, more ambivalence and angst, if you will. No, that, that, that totally makes, makes sense. So so I guess moving forward to the to the present day, you've um, your most recent uh, Harris poll report showed some some interesting insights on on the subject. So to what extent have uh, are the public perceptions of the industry changed in, in this last year? Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty dramatic, right? I just, you know, to, to put a little bit of a, of a point on, on some of the adjectives I used before, right? We've been tracking uh, pharma reputation for um, just about two decades, right? So if you're going back to, you know, the early 2000s or even like the mid 2000s, what you're seeing is, you know, um, you know, good or strong reputation being in, in around kind of like the high 20s, right? Versus for an industry like tech at that time, it would have been in the 70s, right? For context. Um, but what you've seen from that period to today, uh, and in particular to the beginning of the year, very middling, but from January through uh, especially, you know, kind of like July, but in through uh, December, you've had basically a doubling of positive reputation for the industry. And that being extraordinarily unique and distinctive versus others, right? So in, in actual numbers, a, a 23 point rise through through December, um, 
which is ahead of every other industry. Like health insurance is kind of close, but it's kind of jumped up and down. Pharma is the one industry that's been kind of continually building. Um, in contrast to that, you know, uh, tech, which continues to be the score, the overall score, positive reputation is higher, right? It's actually down substantially from where it was in January, right? It had it had a surge for a period, but I think, you know, as, as a contrast point, that's one of the industries that's now been really, that's really in the crosshairs um, versus pharma seen as much more of a, you know, a real kind of problem solver, um, kind of a real hero behind everything that's that's happening right now. Um, and for many reasons, right, not just the, the vaccine itself. I was going to say, so in terms of those, those kind of key drivers there, in terms of being seen as a, as a, a problem solver, could you dig into any more of the, the detail around, around that and what you think are the, the, the real drivers of that, that growth and, and improvement in perception? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's certainly the kind of the, the vaccine is kind of like a core foundation for that. Um, but I think what's almost more important from a kind of broader public perception and, and from a re brand and reputation perspective, it's how they've been doing it in addition to that. Right. So the mm -hmm. fact that there's been a, a very fast and deliberate focus on the vaccine is important, but the, at the same time, since the very beginning of the pandemic, you could very clearly see the whole industry coming together, all the leading players starting to share a lot of data, right? And really doing things, you know, for the public, for frontline healthcare workers in different ways than they've ever, you know, than they've ever been seen through a, through a kind of a public lens. Um, but the big piece I would like the, the core kind of chunk of that, I would say, is very much that kind of collaboration aspect, um, which really kind of um, it addresses many of the misconceptions or more negative aspects or perceptions people may have or of the of the reputation pretty directly. Right. Many people often kind of associate it, you know, as being, you know, too focused on kind of price or sales. And, you know, there's sometimes being questionable marketing practices or things like that. Right. Which, again, all of those things, I think, are the facts behind of which many of those are quite questionable. But in, in general, when you when you see an industry coming together for kind of the broader good and working together in, again, a very hyper uh, competitive industry, it puts a very new kind of face, a new very new aperture on what the industry is about, who are the players who are actually making a difference at pharma companies, what are they doing, and how is that having a bigger impact on, you know, on science, but really on on society? That's really really interesting. I mean, did you did to kind of go further? Did you feel that that some of the the kind of the smaller pharma names, for example, BioNTech or um, or, or Moderna or Oxford University, who've been been kind of um, tying up with with some of the larger brands. Do you think that's helped in terms of that positive perception? Uh, I mean, I think so. Again, bringing in, for example, a, a BioNTech and Moderna into the conversation, I think, are extremely interesting and very exciting for the industry because not only are you seeing this kind of problem solving lens, but what you're really laying out is you know the the ability for the industry to bring forward new technology. Right. I think that, you know, again, if for anybody who's an insider in the industry, they've seen an absolute revolution in pharmaceuticals over the last decade, two decades. Right. Like incredible technology that for most, uh, you know, most of the public, I mean, unless you're you, know, you or someone in your family has gotten access to a revolutionary cancer medication or treatment, you probably don't have as good a sense of, you know, the true innovation that's happening. But when you look especially at kind of mRNA technology, uh, it's very exciting and it is actually, you know, it's driving, um, I mean, it re also reinforces that collaboration piece, especially with BioNTech, right? Like that's, you basically have a whole a bunch of scientists who knew each other and knew what was going on, who brought together 
uh, Pfizer and BioNTech, right? Versus it being kind of like a, some sort of a big corporate m and It was very much driven by the researchers, driven by the scientists. Um, but at the same time, you have a huge focus on the technology, which to a very large degree is still misunderstood, um, but is a core part of the story of how do you get something to into market and through phase three clinical trials as fast and as effectively and as safely as you did. Right. No, fascinating, fascinating. Um, you, you kind of talk there in terms of, you know, the scientists and I, and I guess ultimately the, the human face being something that the industry, you know, can sometimes be accused of lacking. So, you know, how can huge corporate industries show the individuals behind the machine and, and better resonate with the public moving forward? Uh, I mean, I think you've, um, overall, you've had a much better kind of sense of the, like the, the companies being science and research driven versus marketing and sales driven, right? So just that kind of shift in itself is extraordinarily helpful. You've also had little glimpses of some of the real scientists and researchers, um, you know, being profiled and in, 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 in pretty public ways, but really kind of just in points in time. Um, I would argue strongly there's a, there's a huge opportunity to continue to build that more kind of um, real kind of tangible researcher scientist perspective on who these companies are. Right. I mean, I've, I think I'm sure many people on the, on, on this podcast and you yourselves know people that work in pharma and the reason why people go into pharma disproportionately is because they have a passion for healthcare. Very often they actually have had some real kind of healthcare connection, um, terrible, unique disease, um, within, you know, friends, family or whatever. There's a lot of those stories. Like the, the reason most people go in is to really make an impact on people's health. Right. And that's not usually the story that gets told about, um, pharmaceutical companies. So the more you have kind of like real people who are brilliant and going above and beyond uh, and actually creating, you know, huge societal value, you know, public health value, um, you know, the better off the industry is going to be. So I, th I think it's at its starting point there. I think there's there's a long road to go, but it's, it certainly is a, a different lens and a different archetype that is starting to emerge. Now that's... Um really really interesting to get your your insights there and and i guess really that that that, that point around the that passion for healthcare and, and you know the reasons why people get into get into the industry i, I guess you know that that even though that the the pharma and healthcare sectors share that kind of purpose of saving pa patient lives they're not valued by the public in the same way so do you see that as just being inevitable or or could pharma stand to to learn a thing or two from healthcare's approach um, beyond just kind of the individuals and, and I guess communicate more effectively? Uh, you know, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of work to be done, right? I mean, I think I, I would say that in general. Um, I mean, I think most healthcare systems around the world are very complex. They're all different. I mean, the US is obviously very different than, than the UK. Right. Any, you know, single payer system versus um, what you have in the U.S. is going to be very different. Um, I think that to a large degree, um, especially pharma companies are realizing that, you know, although, you know, the products and treatments they build are primarily administered and used by physicians, specialists, et cetera. Right. There is a there's a there's a true importance in terms of, of, of being able to kind of connect with and address 
and really showcase value um, with with broader constituencies like um, like the public. Right. I mean, I think that um, that 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 has become very apparent. There's a lot you can you can learn from, um, you know, more kind of like what's happening at the provider and you know front lines of health. Um, I, I think it's a, one of the interesting trends I would point to is if you look at, you know, the vaccine or COVID, right, you know, the most trusted sources on that are disproportionately kind of, um, you know, very personal, right? It's like, it's very personal, but very healthcare oriented, right? It's very much, it's like, it's frontline healthcare practitioners, it's physicians, it's nurses, um, it's hospital systems. Um, but pharma today has actually kind of caught up quite a bit, not in the same kind of tier, where you know you're trusted by eighty percent plus, but you're in the seventies, right? You're you're in a kind of like a, a real conversation there, um, and there's a huge uh, opportunity for for kind of you know what communication, uh, what what marketing uh, looks like uh, as a as a pharma company today versus um, you know what did it look like in 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 the past. Um, so I do think there's there's a lot to learn. I think there's there's a, a long way to go, but there's you know you, you can already see that there there's a there's a big shift, right? I mean, I think that you know one of the things I would say um, why there's I think there's a lot of optimism about this perspective. It's not just communications, but it's like how how you work and what you do is that in order to actually bring um, the vaccines into market at the speed that they have you know that they have managed to do so it's taken real kind of like operational and management change. It's not like you just kind of flipped a switch and you just had the same people doing the same things faster. You had to have a lot of people doing very different things in very different ways in order to get things to move faster. Right. So you get the sense right now that in the pharma industry, there's, there's a whole new kind of um, set of structures and real kind of like muscle memory that has been, uh, that's been changing and evolving Right. And I think that gives a lot of optimism about what the industry and how it's how it will be perceived uh, will continue to uh, evolve, you know, during COVID um, right now and then also beyond COVID. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Rob. And I guess really in the spirit of kind of moving forward and, and keeping that momentum of the past year going, what do you see as the areas of focused and what, what, what should they be next for the industry when it comes to channeling kind of communication strategies and, and, and resources? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think there's there's a um, the tasks and things to get done are plentiful. Um, I would say one example, and it's not the it's not the single answer, but I think it's an important example is, you know, the industry has been talking about, um, you know, for. for for years, I would say, and you know, in more so in the past few years, around this kind of idea of patient centricity, right? I think that if you take that model as kind of like an archetype of the kind of things to get done, and especially when you think of, um, you know, communications and perceptions in addition to the to the business and operations, I think there's an important lens there because it's if you look at the patient very clearly, what you see is there are things that you as a pharma company can deliver are going to have very direct impact, right? like actual treatments, actual medications, um, you know, patient support programs, right? But at the same time, there's a lot of things that have a direct impact on the patient that you do not have a direct impact on to the same, to nearly to the same degree, right? You start looking at things like, um, you know, patient advocacy, right? You start looking at things like um, social determinants of health, right? And you start seeing a much bigger kind of broader mandate 
for what these companies need to do to really kind of address the needs of patients, right? I mean, again, I don't think that's the only answer, but I think if you take that indirect um, as well as the direct kind of balance and figure out what are the ways that the two complement each other and how you do, how you, you know, focus them in a way that really serves patients and serves and, and enables your commercial model to build in that way, then, you know, a lot of things will fall, will continue to fall into place for, for the industry. Do, do you see kind of education as, as a key part of that in terms of patient education? Sorry, just to clarify. I mean, I think the education piece is really important. Um, I also think like when you think of things like education, this is where kind of uh, working with and helping patient advocacy groups becomes extraordinarily important. Um, I think that, you know, like, again, if you're, um, I would think of education as almost like more of, uh, of, of a factor. Uh, so A, I would think of it as a very kind of like medical factor and with a, with like a, think of it as like a patient advocacy lens and making sure that those groups actually have the resources they need and the right programs in place that they can help deliver directly. Um, at the same time, you know, broader education, I think is, is a very important aspect for a number of reasons, right? So again, as you, as you go to this broader lens of kind of social determinants of health, right? And, you know, again, you can see kind of systematic issues, right? Like one of the places you want to address the systematic issues is at the education level, both from its community impact perspective, but also I'd say I would hope that the pharma industry takes a bit of a self-serving perspective there and just thinks about like the next generation or the next two generations of employees they're looking to hire and the education that's required to get those people to, to the place where they can actually deliver real value for, for, you know, for a large pharmaceutical, you know, science and innovation company. Thank you, Rob. And uh, next question. So as I kind of mentioned at the start, you obviously work across a range of sectors, not just pharmaceuticals. What, what do you think other industries could learn from pharma and, and, and vice versa, I guess, off the back of the past 12 months? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, um, there's quite a few things I would say, like the, the, the number one factor, and we'll, I've already kind of alluded to this, this idea of kind of collaboration towards a, you know, a bigger goal, moving very quickly, making tangible progress um, has been a very unique um, pharma perspective that has really had a big impact on how people think and understand the industry. I think there's a lot of other industries that could learn from that. Um, it's not like a linear, but it's, you can't, it's not like a one, it's not like a one-to-one -one case. Um, I would also reinforce that just more directly from a communications perspective. And we haven't talked about this as much, um, in the U S right. If you look at, um, vaccine confidence, right? Like it's actually, it's jumped around quite a bit when you, so when you think of politicization of the, the vaccine process, the, that, you know, the U S has been at the epicenter of that. Right. So, I mean, I'll, I'll like um, I'll, I'll get back to the broader point, but uh, it's the um, around kind of collaboration and connection across companies. But the, the key thing is that, you know, in the U.S., you had the as, as a it's not the only example of a very specific example of, uh, you know, head of the FDA on a Friday saying um, um, blood plasma um, for for covid treatment. Um, there isn't enough research or science behind it. You know, it can't be approved for emergency use. And then, you know, over the course of two to three days, uh, very publicly over Twitter, et cetera, you had the head of the FDA on Sunday night basically saying, yep, no problem. Uh, blood plasma can be approved for emergency use. 
right? Um, so beyond the science and all the rest of it or whatever, like when, when, pe- when, the, when the public sees something like that, it puts a big kind of spear into confidence, right? And the reason that's important is that it has a big impact on confidence in the vaccine itself. Um, and in the U.S., um, it, it's, it was, you know, is amplified substantially, like 20% differences with African-American um, populations, which are kind of like where, you know, a lot of frontline workers are African-American, right? It's where COVID has hit hardest, right? It's where there's actually been um, most kind of uh, historical cases of, you know, you know um, science and trial kind of disenfranchisement and skepticism. So, um one of the things that the industry did that was very effective that wasn't just kind of producing the vaccine was coming together, you know, across at the time it was nine kind of leading candidate companies and put together a very specific petition um, signed by all the CEOs to talk about the fact that they wouldn't even um, introduce a vaccine candidate for emergency use unless until it had actually gone through all the scientific processes. Right. So again, like not everybody understood all the exact details, but it was very clear that they weren't, that they were taking a very deliberate stance and one that was, it was like, I think it was about 80% of the public were aware of it, which is crazy for, uh, for a pharmaceutical company announcement, but that's the, that's, that's the world we're in right now, um, was really spoke to kind of science first and we're going out of our way and we're going across companies, not just to be the first to, to get it in at all costs, but to really let science play play out its course. So, um, so everyone's, uh, so we're basically not skipping any steps on safety or efficacy and this being introduced to the public. Right. So long winded story to say there's, there's a number of places where you could really see kind of collaboration, both in terms of development, but also kind of really sticking to why science has to guide everything, um, that theme to really instill and reinforce kind of confidence in both the development process as well as the vaccine itself. Um, and actually, we're, you know, we're seeing numbers kind of rise back up now again as well. So long-winded answer, but there's, uh, I think there's those both from a communications as well as from a, from a core offering or core impact perspective, there's a lot that other industries could learn. Um, I do think there's other industries that are actually have taken very, you know, large and significant strides. Um, you know, if, if we look at, you know, financial services, um, and I think, you know, one of the, the most visible companies right now, um, globally, also in the U.S. is Bank of America, um, globally from the perspective that they've been kind of uh, championing um, the whole perspective with, um, you know, the big four accounting firms on ESG and sustainability metrics that could be implemented at companies. Um, and then they've also been driving during the, the, the COVID period. Um, very specific aspects of that, right? Like in particular, they were one of the first and largest investors, uh, not investors, like contributors to really kind of addressing um, kind of minority businesses, right? Like a billion dollars, right? And starting to, to do things like social um, uh, social bond offerings, right? Where you have a very different kind of investment archetype. So a very different thing than just kind of addressing a vaccine, but um, also kind of being able to address the bigger picture of a lot of the issues that are happening right now that, you know, again, when you look at COVID, you know, there's, there's all sorts of byproducts of it. You know, one of the things that's been an intersection, especially here in the U S but across the globe has been um, kind of inequality um, and kind of racial inequality in particular here in the U S and a lot of the systemic issues around that. Right. So I think there are a number of other companies and industries that have really stepped up to kind of do new things, more things than they have in the past. You know, some would argue they should have been, you should have been doing these things all the time. But at the same time, when you have companies that just step up when, you know, 
when, when it is clear that they that they really should be and actually putting significant dollars behind that that does have a big impact not just on that company not on just the perceptions of the company but just you know on really moving kind of society forward and addressing some of the really substantive challenges that that need to be addressed well i i guess really that's a, a kind of a matter of almost distribution really in terms of what you you're referencing there for 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 bank america i guess that's a, a challenge for for the pharmaceutical industry moving forward is, is that distribution point and, and making sure that you know vaccines are available globally i guess i mean i think that yeah okay we do we do a lot of global research on this there's like if you look at there's all sorts of issues right i mean you have um if, if you look at the trends of um, you know, around mutations right now, that's a big impact, right? When you look at distribution and, um, you know, maybe not as much distribution as people would hope, you have all sorts of issues starting to emerge around things like dosage, which actually complicates the situation quite a bit in terms of our understanding, you know, can you delay a dose or not? Is there any sort of scientific credibility behind that? Um, and I, I would also say there's a lot of markets that have their own kind of like built in kind of issues to address, right? Like it's, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen some of this. Like if you, if you look at Japan, you know, the historical kind of issues or skepticism around kind of HPV vaccines are kind of pulling through today. Um, if you look at a market like Italy, right, where you actually have um, historical mandates on, you know, a dozen or so vaccines, that has a big impact on, on how everything plays out right now. Um, in addition to the core logistical issues with, with distribution, um, in addition to like, you know, again, markets where, you know, the vaccine wasn't developed and therefore feeling like you're a little bit behind. And that's both, you know, like markets like Brazil, as well as markets like Spain. Oh, absolutely um, fascinating. Thank you very much, um, Rob, and, and, and for taking really the time out of your, your day to, to come on to today's podcast to chat with me and, and share your findings with our audience. It's, it's been a real pleasure. Happy to help and thank you for having me on. Brilliant. And so we've unpacked a lot today that will no doubt be of great use to all functions of the industry, whether you're a marketer or in medical affairs, it really is food for thought. That's all we have time for this week, but don't forget to check out our digital magazine at www.emg-gold.com for plenty of articles, interviews and news on everything and anything related to pharma. And remember to tune in every Tuesday for more insights from great thought leaders like Rob in and outside the industry. So thank you for listening. Take care and see you next time on the EMG Gold podcast.